Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, presented by Game On Wisconsin. Jamal Williams, I consider him a friend. It's not a rivalry if the other team doesn't win. Now, in the Game On Wisconsin studios, here's your host, Jacob Westendorf. Live in the Game On Wisconsin studios, indeed I am, and happy to be here and appreciative of everyone that has listened to this show all season. It is playoff time. Before I get rolling with our first guest, here is a word from our sponsors. Game On Wisconsin is brought to you by Artec Ventures. The goal at Artec Ventures is to collaborate closely with founders throughout all the investment and fundraising stages, turning their visions into successful companies. Since 2020, Artec Ventures has helped turn great ideas into profitable businesses that make an impact on industries, communities, and beyond. Visit artecventures.com for more info. Thank you to Artec Ventures for making all of our work at Game On Wisconsin possible. Thank you to you the listener, for making us possible and make it so I'm not just talking in an echo chamber. It is divisional playoff week, my friends, and I am fired the hell up. The Green Bay Packers will take on the San Francisco 49ers on Saturday night at 7.15 Central Time. So I brought in my self-described Green Bay Packers good luck charm, Lorenzo (laughs) Reyna of Heavy.com, who covers the 49ers and Lorenzo. The reason I say that is because we have done this show together twice. Well, not this show, but a show together twice last year before the Packers play the Rams in the playoffs. Green Bay won by double digits. And a few weeks ago when Green Bay played the Rams in the regular season and Green Bay won, I will call it by double digits because the Rams kicked a very sad field goal at the end of the game to kind of make that game closer than it really was. But this week we are here talking about the team you cover the San Francisco 49ers. So let me start with, Give my listeners a little refresher course of your background, who you cover, what you do, and where we can find you on Twitter. Yes, uh, the good luck charm is back. Well, I'll just start, I'll just start there. But yeah, so uh, lately I've been covering the uh, 49ers for heavy.com. It's actually the big reason why I'm back on this show once again with my guy, Jacob. Um, I also do a little bit of uh, Cardinals as well, leading up to the historic playoff game, which ended up resulting in a disaster last night against the Rams. But you know, LJ underscore Reyna, once again, LJ underscore Reyna on Twitter. You know, I'll even, um, I'm even willing to put in my Instagram handle, which is at LJ underscore Zoe underscore R-E-Y, LJ Zoe Ray on Instagram. So, you know, we're ready to rock. We're ready to roll. Ready to rock and ready to roll. The San Francisco 49ers are ready to rock and ready to roll after a win over Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. So a little Packers connection there from the standpoint of the former head coach, of course, Mm -hmm. of the Green Bay Packers, the head coach of their most previous Super Bowl victory. The 49ers go into Dallas. They win 23-17 to in a game that had one of the more bizarre endings to a playoff game that I can remember in quite Mm -hmm. some time. Dallas, some just baffling clock management, and I just cannot understand how they – don't understand the basics of margin for error. Your margin for error on that play is none. So basically Mm -hmm. the way that it ends, of course, you guys saw it. Dallas runs a quarterback draw and everything runs down. The clock ends up running out. If everything goes perfect, 
Dallas is hoping to have one second back on the clock after that play ends. If your margin for error is one second, you cannot run that play. And I understand what the 49ers were doing as far as baiting them to run to the middle field. They basically played right into uh, San Francisco's hands by running that play. But that is not why we're – well, actually, you know what? Let's start there. When's the last time you saw a playoff game like that end that way? And if you're Dallas, is that the last game Mike McCarthy is your head coach? So, Jacob, I do want to answer the second question. So there are some rumblings that we're picking up at heavy and also nation, like throughout the nation, if you're following what's going on with the Cowboys, there's this hot rumor that there could be a change at the head coaching position. There's one of the hot rumors is Dan Quinn, who's been his name has sprouted up in a lot of NFL openings. There's the possibility that maybe he gets the one who gets promoted. And then who knows what happens with the former Packers coach. I don't understand it either. I mean, it's like Dan Quinn's the same guy who had that choke job in Super Bowl 51. Yeah, he's run a very, very strong, outstanding defense in Dallas. But I am going to say this, though, Jacob, and I don't know if you have, like, any Cowboy fans listening on this show. Maybe, maybe not. But I'm going to send this message. Stop freaking blaming the ref for that final Mm -hmm. what happened toward the end, okay? Your team had so many chances to actually come back and win this game. Even if, okay, so say say Dak goes down early. Say he spikes the football. Say, like, the ref doesn't interfere or whatever the case was, and you have, like, three or four seconds left on the clock. You still are down to one final heat into the end zone. What are the chances that pass still gets picked off or it falls incomplete? You're still in a position where you could still lose the game. And looking at it more closely, Jacob, all those penalties that the Cowboys had, the fact that the highest scoring offense in the league barely mustered 17 points, there was no 100-yard rusher, no 100-yard receiver, and this is a loaded offense, as you know. This team underachieved. This team underachieved. 100%. They shot themselves in the foot. And I mean, to me, it's like Dallas did this to themselves. You can't just – and, of course, I'm, I'm looking at online. I'm looking at all these people saying that they're pointing the finger at the ref. It's like, no, you got to point the finger everywhere else. Yeah, you've got that, and then you've got the – I mean, Dallas, you mentioned it, 14 penalties. And realistically, yeah. the only reason that Dallas had a chance at the end of that game to get a touchdown to potentially win that game is because Jimmy Garoppolo threw a horrendous interception with the 49ers mm-hmm. nursing a 23 23- to 10 lead he overshoots Brandon Ayuk. The ball falls right into the hands of Anthony Brown and Dallas scores a touchdown very quickly right after that. But 14 penalties, uh, like you mentioned, no hundred yard rusher, no hundred yard receiver and San Francisco. This isn't San Francisco's defense from two years ago. They're a nope. good defense, but they are not a great, that defense in 2019 was the best defense in all of football. And they didn't have Nick Bosa for the last three quarters of the game. Dak Prescott did not play well. Was that hey, you know, I'll, hour? I'll... Yeah, you know, I'll add that. I'm glad you brought up Nick Bosa, Jacob, because here's another reason why I feel like Dallas fans should not point the finger at the ref. If you do, it's going to point right back at you. But you mentioned it. Nick Bosa was out for at least three quarters. San Francisco was still getting to Dak Prescott, and you had two all-pro linemen, two all-pro offensive linemen on the Dallas Cowboys, and San Francisco was still moseying their way into the backfield. It just goes to show you, and this guy doesn't get a lot of lot of credit for whatever reason, but I think he does deserve the credit. Chris Kosarik, defensive line coach of the San Francisco 49ers, he's found a way to get these guys right. Outside of Bosa having his career, Arden Key, who was an underachiever with the Raiders, 
Arden Keys had a spectacular season with the 49ers. They found ways to use Eric Armstead, even if it meant sliding him over to the B gap. You know, Samson Ebucom, he's also been a very, very strong contributor when called upon. They rotate nine guys. And it's like, even without Bosa, this team still got its penetration. They did. And they sacked Prescott five times. I think they said they had 14 quarterback hits on Sunday. Dallas yeah. had opportunities to win that game. But when you get your butt kicked in the trenches the way that they did, it's going to be really hard. It doesn't. And this, I say this all the time to Packers fans that are willing to listen. Those that were on the front lines complaining about how Green Bay didn't draft a receiver and instead drafted Elton Jenkins or drafted three offensive linemen and no receivers that one year, you could all them sexy receivers and fantasy football players do not matter when the quarterback is on his back. And Dak Prescott was exactly. on Dak Prescott. If you go into this postseason, the Dallas Cowboys might have the best wide receiver trio in the NFL or in the NFL postseason, at least. It's at least in the discussion. And it didn't matter because they couldn't protect Prescott. Prescott was clearly rattled by that. And then you add in the other stuff, not the finest hour for Mike McCarthy, not the finest hour for Dan Quinn, not the finest hour for Kellen Moore. And where I wanted to add, and the reason I have to bring that is for accountability purposes, because I have defended Mike McCarthy almost at every turn because everybody in there, there's this weird thing that fan bases do that somebody gets fired or goes somewhere else. And the instinct is to root for them to fail. And I acknowledge that some of that has to do with the fact that Mike McCarthy is the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And I hate the Dallas Cowboys. And I understand why some might feel that way. I've said, I think McCarthy is a good coach. Now I'm going to rephrase that. I think McCarthy was a good coach and I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but I thought they worded it very well. And I apologize. I can't give you credit for it, but McCarthy was a good coach in green Bay for a while. They won a super bowl. They were 15 and one. They played for some conference titles. You know, the story with McCarthy by now, right? Then there came a point where the game, it was Chris Burke of Acme Packing Company, Chris Burke. The game passed him by at some point. And when the game passes you, I think it's very hard or maybe even impossible to catch up and get back to in front of the trends and everything like that. So if I were Dallas, I would seriously look into firing McCarthy, but I wouldn't be doing it for the sake of promoting Kellen Moore or Dan Quinn, because at that point, what's the difference? Like it's going to be the same stink from, from this regime because Quinn's a McCarthy hire. Kellen Moore was a McCarthy. Well, not a whole, not a McCarthy hire, but a holdover that McCarthy chose to keep. Dallas is just, it's the same story for the last 30 years. You hear all, Oh, hold up, hold up. We, them boys. And they never are. <laughs> They're always going home. They haven't played for an NFC championship since I was four years old and they will not play for an NFC championship again. So let's get into that real quick. You mentioned some of the reasons, but how did San Francisco go in there as a road underdog and, and beat the Cowboys? It all starts with their blueprint, Jacob. I mean, it's defense, it's running game. And when you do those two things, you control the tempo of the game, you control the clock, and you pretty much play into the 49ers' favor. Defensively, I know I mentioned in Costa Rica, the defensive line coach, D'Amico Ryan's had a hellacious game plan. For Dallas mm -hmm. as well. There was also a very crucial call. I'm sure you saw it as well. It was late in the fourth quarter. It's like Ferdinand Long. D'Amico Ryan's calls is a blitz zero. I mean, you have to, I mean, you have to have a lot of fortitude if you're a defensive corner to call that during that sequence, but it worked perfectly. And then I also mentioned the fact that Dallas with all their playmakers, not one of them crossed over the century mark. Ezekiel Elliott was held to, I believe it was 31 yards in that game, in the playoff game. 
the best receiver on the football field for the Cowboys was a tight end, Dalton Schultz. Yep. Not Jay Nova. He wasn't even Jay Novacek or Jason Witten out there. But the best receiver, they forced Dallas to rely on the tight end. That's when you know the 49ers are playing their game. So completely, completely masterful game plan. And, you know, for all the flag that Kyle Shanahan gets, and, you know, I mean, I get it. He, he calls what looks like a very predictable offense, but you know, and he calls what's like an ebb and flow offense where he relies more on what, what perfectly works, which is usually the running game. But you know what? To his credit, he stuck with what was working throughout the whole four quarters, and that was the running game, feeding Deagle Samuel, feeding Elijah Mitchell, who Elijah Mitchell actually didn't even average four yards per carry, but he was doing enough to still keep the, the ball moving, keep the clock flowing as well. So, you know, overall, I mean, this was definitely a case, and I, this is where I bring up Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy got outcoached by Kyle Shanahan. But also, he got outcoached by D'Amico Ryans. And, you know, Dan Quinn also Dan Quinn also got outcoached by D'Amico Ryans. And now it's like D'Amico Ryans' name is, like, literally rising in the NFL head coaching ranks. Which is crazy. And, you know, we mentioned before the show that both of us are old. I remember D'Amico Ryans, the linebacker for the Houston Texans. And now Same he's here. going to be the head coach somewhere at some point. So, J- Jake, I'm going to age you a little a- bit more. I'm going to age you a little bit more. D'Amico Ryans is actually younger than me. <laughs> oh wow all right thanks for i'm that. sorry dude. It. i'm sorry dude. <laughs> so let's move to a couple big storylines that come from that game uh, san francisco wins the battle but may have lost the proverbial war in the process now it does sound like fred warner is going to be able to go how good is that ankle in sub-zero type of temperatures yeah we'll find out and then you add in that Nick Bosa, who Nick Bosa and the Bosa family in general exists solely to torment me as a guy. <laughs> it seems like they always have big games against the Packers. They always had big games against the Michigan Wolverines when they were at Ohio State. But Nick I'm Bosa also has take. a – hey, we got it, man. We beat him this year, so I'm all for it. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll leave that to the side because my listeners are probably tired of hearing me gloat about the Big Ten champions. <laughs> but, anyways – with Bosa, concussion, and I just looked before we started here, the 49ers had yet to release an injury report that I have seen, but I assume he is a DNP for today, and Warner was probably a limited participant, if anything, yeah. if they even practiced. You know, they're coming off of a short week, having played Sunday to now have to play Saturday, but yes. both guys are hurt. Yeah. Both guys are hurt. One guy is in question as to if he will play, that's Bosa. Uh-huh. One really isn't. Fred Warner will play. I'm, I'm almost – hundred percent confident in saying that, but if they cannot play and or are compromised, how big of a difference does that make to this Niners defense? And so on that note, Jacob, so they were limited today along with Jimmy Garoppolo, who we are going to get into a little bit later on the show. But as far as Bosa and Warner are concerned, Jacob, they're really the heart and soul of this defense. I mean, the heart you could probably say is Bosa because, you know, he sets the tone as the edge rusher. Warner's more the cerebral, you know, like pretty much like calls the signals, that sort of thing that you normally see from linebackers. But what I also want to bring up is this. Bosa and Warner, when they were together on the field, San Francisco led 23-7. to When they were not on the field, Dallas nearly completed the comeback. San Francisco barely wins. There's this concern that I do have for the 49ers in the event that Bosa, who's in concussion protocol, he's still in concussion protocol, by the way, 
uh, Warner again with his ankle injury and in the frozen tundra. I mean, sometimes it's like, you know, that joint could lock up easily. So because of the fact that Bosa and Warner, they may not even be on that field, and you're going against Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and the litany of weapons that Rodgers has at his disposal. I mean, I'm sorry. It's like the advantage to me goes to Green Bay right off the bat. And then even with uh, Bosa and Warner, if they do play, it's like, you know, they're still having their ailments in that kind of inclement weather. So, you know, uh, you have to wonder what kind, how that how that's able to play into their favor. Yeah, if they do play, they won't be 100%, which – you know, the old adage is at this point in the season, nobody is 100%. So I understand that, but it is something I hope Bose is able to play. I hope Warner is able to play. And I know some fans are always like, why would you hope for that? Is I always want to see a team at their best because that way, if and when mm-hmm. Green wins, there's no excuses. Like, for example, knock on wood, if the 49ers come out and they knock Aaron Rodgers out of the game, say he goes down with an injury and isn't able to return, there's an obvious caveat over that game. Bear fans have been doing this to me for 10 years about Jay Cutler getting injured in that NFC championship game 10 years ago, to which my response is it was 14 to nothing when Jay was in the game, but that's beside the point. I want those guys on the field and the competitor in me wants those guys on the field and to see the 49ers at their best, because I've heard all week how they're this, and I say all week, it's Tuesday, how they're this bad matchup (laughs) for green Bay and green Bay will struggle with them and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, let's see it. And then that way, if Green Bay wins, I think you got to feel even more confidence as a Packers fan going into next week against either the Rams or the Bucks, depending on who wins those games. Let's talk about, you mentioned Devontae Adams and that litany of weapons. The 49ers, according to Football Outsiders DVOA, are 31st in the NFL. There's 32 teams mm-hmm. in DVOA against other teams' number one wide receivers. The last time Devontae Adams played against the 49ers, he had 12 catches for a buck 32 and a touchdown. How are they going to slow him down? Well, I mean, they can't go with that plan that they had in that week three loss, I believe it was. I mean, now you have – here's where the 49ers do kind of luck out a little bit. They have Emmanuel Mosley, who I think was putting together a Pro Bowl season before his high ankle sprain. They have him officially back in the lineup. However, though, as you know, Jacob, Devontae is not somebody who you just throw out and just stay neutral in one area. They motion him out. LaFleur likes to move him around as the that movie chess piece. So I'm anticipating what's going to happen is this. If it's not Mosley, I would imagine Jimmy Ward is going to be that motion defender. Jimmy Ward, here's the reason why I bring up Jimmy Ward, the free safety. He's had his share of, of games, and he's actually gotten the better end of, of all people, Cooper Cup in the NFC West. And he's also held his own against names like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So I'm envisioning that maybe in this case, if it's not Mosley, I think Ward's going to be the guy who picks up on him. However, though, I will say this. If you're LaFleur, you're probably looking at Kawan Williams, and you're probably going to try to create some kind of mismatch where you put Devontae on Kawan Williams. Williams was the one who gave up that touchdown in uh, in the playoff game. And then maybe they also try to test Ambry Thomas. I mean, he is a Wolverine. I mean, he's, he's our guy, but, you know, I, I mean, Devont, yep, for round rookie. So I would imagine, like, you know, I mean, I think if you're D'Amico Ryans, you're probably going to try to get Mosley and Ward on Devontae most of the most of the evening and try to prevent yourself from getting Kawan Williams to draw him or even Ambry Thomas. 
Yeah, and that's where the Packers' plan gets interesting as far as – and they've done a really good job with it. They did a good job. You saw it against the Rams. They get him away from Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they still – I mean, Devontae ha- Devontae's going to beat whoever you put across from him, uh, and he'll beat them more times than he won't. That's where, to me – this game, to me, if you take the two best weapons on each side, Debo Samuel and Devontae Adams, neither team has a great answer for those guys, mm-hmm. I don't think, especially when you put Debo in the backfield. But – it's the other guys that are going to have to make it. And this is why, I mean, we'll get to this here in a little while, but eventually it comes down to who do you trust more to make a play in a big spot, Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy Garoppolo. And speaking of Jimmy G banged up shoulder, banged up thumb. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked him what's bothering you more the shoulder or the thumb. His answer was yes. Rob Domovsky of ESPN pointed out this week that Jimmy Garoppolo has never played in a game where the temperatures are below 40 degrees. It's going to be 40 degrees colder than 40 degrees on Saturday yeah. night by the time that game kicks off. How much concern is there? Is there anything that's like, hey, we really can't let this game get into Jimmy's hands? Yeah, you know, uh, Jimmy did say to reporters that he has played in cold before when he was at Eastern Illinois, but, you know, that's years ago. That was like a decade ago. I mean, he's gotten used to the West Coast, and he, as you saw, he barely played when he was backing up Tom Brady. But shoulder injury, Jake, and then a thumb. And you have below freezing temperatures, it's like, you know, it's going to tighten up for him. Now, more than ever, if you're the 49ers, it's like, and I know this is going to bore a lot of people considering their style of football, but you're going to have to rely on the running game. You don't want to be in the situation where Jimmy Garoppolo is throwing the football 40 times in that kind of element and on a bad thumb and then on the bad shoulder. I mean, obviously, Green Bay is going to try to do what they can to bottle the the box. You know, you'll probably see like nine, ten defenders try to limit Elijah Mitchell, also Debo Samuel as well. But, you know, if you're the 49ers, it's like the last thing you want to do is be in a situation where you're, you have Jimmy not only throwing 40 in a game, but also 30. If that's the case, if you go past him, you may have no choice but to go with Trey Lance. Yeah, and that part, I mean, I was talking about this earlier today. I was on WDUZ with Marcus Eversall in Green Bay, and they were asking about the Trey Lance angle because Lance was – it was reported earlier in the day how credible that source is remains to be seen, but that there are rumors surfacing from San Francisco that Jimmy may not be able to go. And if Garoppolo can't go, then it's Trey Lance, to which my thought is if, if the 49ers at one point in the season were 3-5, and five, if Trey Lance was ready to play – that was the time to make the switch. They didn't, mm-hmm. which tells me in Kyle Shanahan's estimation, Trey Lance is not ready to one play, play well and win. And to me, it's like, if Trey Lance is in this game, that brings some different wrinkles from the run game standpoint. You know, he can do some things in the quarterback run game that Jimmy Garoppolo cannot do, but Shanahan hasn't used that a ton this year. Didn't use it at all on Sunday against Dallas Maybe he throws a wrinkle in here or there against the Packers with some zone read stuff. You know, the idea of uh, Lance and and Debo Samuel in the backfield together, obviously, will probably give some Packers fans some PTSD, but I just can't see that. I think Shanahan is very set on Jimmy's the guy for 2022, Mm -hmm. and I'm interested to see how that plays out in the future. You know, if San Francisco wins this game, plays for the NFC title, say they win that game and Jimmy G gets him to the Super Bowl. How do you go with Trey Lance next year for any reason other than yeah. you traded all those picks for Trey Lance, which that's another story. We have all kinds of uh, conversation about the quarterback trade market here in green Bay, but we're trying to ignore that until February or March, which hopefully the Packers mm-hmm. are still playing in February. A lot of talk about the 49ers pass rush 
with Bosa and Arden Key and Eric Armstead and those guys you mentioned. But Green Bay's got a pretty damn good pass rush of their own. Preston Smith is going to be uh, active on Sunday. Rashawn Gary obviously has had a really good season. And then you have the, the Cavalry's coming. Zadarius Smith is likely to be back. Matt LaFleur said he's hopeful yeah. that he'll play. And Whitney Merciless is also somebody who could be back this weekend. What's the concern level about the 49ers' ability to block those guys, especially the right side of their offensive line, not in good shape? It's not. It did also keep this in mind, Jacob. I mean, Trent Williams, yeah, he was a monster against the Cowboys. Well, guess what? Williams is still dealing with an elbow injury. He just got back yep. from that. And now he's most likely going to get either Preston or Rashawn. I'm thinking he's going to get Rashawn in this game. But, you know, here's another thing, too, that all the more reason why I feel like that your guys' unit is more of an upgrade and more of a different challenge compared to the Cowboys. The Cowboys rushers, a la Micah Parsons, the, the Marcus Lawrence, all those guys, they don't have the playoff experience that Green Bay has. Like, we've gotten used to seeing Green Bay in the postseason and the fact that they're hosting home games. So I think that plays into Gary, that plays into Smith, that plays into all those guys that you mentioned that, you know, they're good. They're so used to rushing passers in these elements and the fact that, as we mentioned, there's the stigma of injuries. I mean, it's not just Williams. Daniel Brunskill, he's battled some injuries as well. They had a, a change at right tackle because of McGlinchey going down for the, for the entire season. So I would imagine that they're going to definitely try to throw the kitchen sink at Jimmy G. Yeah, and they should be because if you put Jimmy under pressure, if you put any quarterback under pressure, they get worse. You put Jimmy under pressure, he makes some decisions that allow you to catch a couple passes if you're on the defensive side of the ball. Real quick, before we get to this game, I do want to go around the NFL real quick as to who wins and why. So the Bengals play the Titans. That'll be the first game on Saturday. That'll be a 3 o'clock game. Um, it'll be the Bengals and the Titans in Tennessee. The Titans, the first seed, the Bengals get their first playoff win in three decades in my lifetime. Who wins that game? Tennessee and Cincinnati. I'm, I'm going Tennessee. I think that atmosphere, I think the, the, just the crowd noise is going to affect Cincinnati. Who knows? The Bengals might be in a situation where, you know, it's a sigh of relief. The, the weight's off their shoulders. They they finally won a playoff game. The last time they won a playoff game, I was eight years old. And so that's how long it's been. Now I'm, I'm in my late 30s. So I I just think like that atmosphere, I don't think Cincinnati is truly ready for that. And so I just feel like that, you know, Tennessee's going to ride that momentum into the AFC Championship game. I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Trey Hendrickson's injury is one that I am certainly watching because I do think that the Titans have to play games on their terms. If it becomes a game where the Bengals lead like 14 to three, when I've seen the Titans when they're uncomfortable and it doesn't go well, most of the time, Derrick Henry, I think the conversation around the game is almost like they're just going to plug him in and Derrick Henry's good to go. Cause he's Derrick Henry and it doesn't always work that way. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. In general, in a game like this, kind of like I mentioned, I lean toward the quarterback, and I do trust Joe Burrow more than I do Ryan Tannehill in this situation. So I do I like like them to get that win. Yeah, that pass rush, though, for Tennessee, I mean, when it gets going, like, it's definitely very, very deadly. So I would – I mean, I'm going to be curious to see how the Bengals handled the likes of Autry and all those guys. Yeah, because, I mean, last week they faced Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, and they did a good enough job against those guys through most of the game. And the other thing, Tennessee just – I don't think they have anybody that could – I don't know if anybody can cover Jamar Chase, but I don't know if Tennessee has anybody that can can cover Jamar Chase. Yeah, 
I think as long as you get the pressure going, I mean, they could it could def and try to rattle Burrow. I mean, the advantage could go Tennessee's way. And I just feel like yeah. that it's not a knock on it's not a knock on Crosby and Gakwe, but when I really look at a guy like Crosby, Jacob, I feel like that he doesn't have an arsenal of hand moves just yet in his repertoire. Like he I noticed like he's relying on this bull rush. He's relying on like extending his hands, but I very rarely see him like do like a ghost rip or a rip or a simple swim move. And then Gakwe, like, I mean, I like Gakwe's speed, but that's just it. He relies too much on his speed to get around defenders and he's undersized. He can get worn down easily. I just think like Autry and, you know, uh, Matthews, they're, they're, they're defensive linemen as well. I just feel like Jeff that they're going to be as much. Landry. Yeah. I got some players. Yeah. Landry, all those ball. guys. Yeah. They're, they're going to be more of a challenge. Yeah, I think they will too. I think that's a field goal type of game. Let's do the other game in the AFC. It's odd, oddly enough, I think the two most entertaining games of the weekend are the two, three, uh, well, two, four in the NFC's matchup, but the, the two seed matchups. This one is Kansas City against the Buffalo Bills. That will be at Geha Field at Arrowhead Stadium. Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, they met in the AFC Championship game last year. The Chiefs were able to win that one. Is this different? I, I think from a scorer standpoint, it's going to be a lot closer. I think Buffalo's going to be motivated by the fact that they get the Chiefs again. But I just – I can't go against the Chiefs at Arrowhead during this time of year. And I think, judging from what you saw against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think Kansas City's getting its swagger back. I think Kansas is starting to get its swag back during this time of year. Mahomes is starting to rediscover himself. And then, you know, your defense has also really stepped up against Big Ben and what was his last hurrah. So – and they know how to slow down Josh Allen. They know how to slow down Stephon Diggs. So I think it will be more of an emotional tone, but I, I would feel more comfortable picking the Bills if it was at Orchard Park. Unfortunately, it's at Arrowhead. That's why I'm swinging towards the Chiefs. I'm riding the wave. Josh Allen on Saturday night played mm. maybe the best quarterback game I've ever seen. Uh, the shortlist with that, obviously, off the top of my head. Aaron Rodgers against uh, Atlanta in the divisional round in 2010. Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Those, that's the kind of game Josh Allen had on Saturday night. And it was against Bill Belichick and a, a defense that was compromised in the secondary. I understand that. But Kansas City's defense is compromised all over the place. And Allen has the ability to kind of run away from Melvin Ingram and Chris Jones and Frank Clark and some of those guys that might be chasing him a little bit. I just have this hunch that it's Buffalo's time. I think last year they were a year early and everybody kind of wanted them to win. And then they went through it this year and people, we kind of forgot about them for a while because the Patriots had that win streak and everything like that. Buffalo is the number one point differential in football. And it's a pretty significant margin when they win, they beat the shit out of teams. But I'm not saying they're going to beat up the chiefs like that because mm -hmm. anybody who listens to this show or follows me on Twitter, you guys know there's not a bigger Patrick Mahomes fans, Mahomes fan in the world that's not a Kansas City Chiefs fan than I am. I think Mahomes is the second best quarterback in the world now behind Aaron Rodgers. And I thought he was the best I'm, in the world for quite some time as well. I'm going to make this bold prediction with you, Jacob, on this show. I have a very strong feeling whoever does win between the Bills and Chiefs will eventually represent the AFC at SoFi Stadium. I agree with you. I think that's the AFC championship game is the Bills and the Chiefs. And the winner, they just get to take home the conference championship trophy a week later, whether it's against Tennessee or against Cincinnati. Uh, but I'm, t I'm taking the bills. I am, I'm taking the bills and the Bengals. So I like both road teams in the AFC, which I hate doing that, but I like both road teams. Let's go to the other NFC game before we get to the main event, the bucks and the Rams. 
And I got to tell you, Lorenzo, I told you on Sunday when you were in our Twitter space that I thought the Rams were going to get beat by the Cardinals. It just seemed like a, a fizzle out type of situation for them. And the Cardinals were a complete no-show, as big of an ass beating as I have seen in the postseason. Well, really, since Saturday night when the Bills did the same thing. With the, yeah. but the Cardinals, of all the teams, this, here's the funny part. Of all the teams this weekend, and I've given a lot of shit to the seven seeds, the Eagles and the Steelers, that they didn't belong mm. in the playoffs. Those teams look like they belonged more than the Cardinals. That's not a good look for That's Christmas. A lot. It's not a good look for – it is. It is. It's not saying anything wow. good for any of those teams necessarily, but it is saying a little something. The Rams win. They have the maybe the most talent. Matthew Stafford gets the proverbial monkey off of his back of never won a playoff game. Sean McVay gets that, that success that maybe hasn't been there in the last mm-hmm. couple of years, really since they went to the Super Bowl. They're playing against Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Is this the time that the Rams can slay that dragon? This is my upset pick, Jacob. I'm thinking that the Rams are going to pull the upset. The Rams have had the upper hand, not just against the Bucks, but against Brady. Keep this in mind. The last time these two teams met in Tampa, the Rams won. And that was without Odell Beckham. That was without Sony Michelle. You know, I I just feel like that, you know. Stafford finally got that proverbial like weight off his shoulders, finally won a playoff game. Odell Beckham rediscovered himself. You know, the Cam Akers as well. Cam Akers back from his tour. That is the most phenomenal thing of this season. That dude tore his Achilles in July and looks explosive Uh like that. And it takes me two tries to get off the couch. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And not only that, it's like, you know, you have your backfield just got bolstered because you you have not only Michelle, who's been in this situation before with that, mm-hmm. that that Super Bowl run with the Patriots, but now you have a healthy Cam Akers who look absolutely phenomenal and destructive against Arizona. So I just look at, to me, the Rams have their weapons in place. My concern with the Bucks, Jacob, is like, yeah, you have Mike Evans, yeah, you have, you, have, you have Gronk and Scotty Miller, but it's like, you know, we don't know the health of Leonard Fournette just yet. And then the fact that they've also dealt with other injuries like, you know, Chris Godwin as well. So I just feel like from a weapon standpoint, the Rams have the advantage. And then the fact that you're backed by that stud defense and now Vaughn Miller is also starting to rediscover like himself from his Denver Broncos time. So I just look at it like, to me, this is my upset pick. And one name that you didn't mention that is facing an injury for the Bucs is Tristan Wirfs. And honestly, mm. I feel like this should have gotten more play than it did. Shame on Bruce Arians. Wirfs leaves the game with an ankle injury. Can't put weight on it. Goes to the locker room, gets retaped, all that stuff. They're winning by two scores, and he puts Tristan Wirfs back in the game and, like, three plays later, re-aggravates that injury. He's now in a boot. Ian Rappaport said today on the Pat McAfee show that he anticipates Wirfs and Jensen having a good chance to play. on, And they'll need him because you mentioned it. It's not just Aaron Donald. It's it's Leonard Floyd. It's Von Miller. They've got a pass rush that can get after you. But at the end of the day, this game, even without Godwin and even without Antonio Brown, who God knows what he's doing these days. He's, do- he's jumping me- up and down and uh, he's, he's in the studio. He's in the rep studio. Like he's, he's doing songs with Kanye. I'm just going to give him credit if he's wearing a shirt. If he can do something like that, I would appreciate that from Antonio Brown. But this is a game to me that is two teams that are evenly matched. I think the Rams have the upper upper hand in the coaching department. I like Sean McVay. I don't have a whole lot of good things to say about Bruce Arians, especially over the last couple of years, especially since he's been in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay, which is funny because he when he went to Tampa Bay, everybody loved him. 
And now it's almost like he fell under that. Maybe it's because Brady's there and nobody really likes I him. I think so. so, yeah. But McVay to me is a better coach. And I don't love Sean McVay the way the internet basically does. I think he's a good coach, but he has some moments that are a little interesting as well. To me, this is an evenly matched game between two teams that are evenly matched. It comes down to the Rams can pressure Tom Brady, but the Bucks with JPP, Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea, and Ndamukong Su can also pressure Matthew Stafford. Who do I trust to make a big-time throw and not make mistakes against that kind of pressure? The answer is the guy who's won seven Super Bowl titles. And you can say all you want about wins and losses aren't a quarterback stat, and I understand all that, and I agree with you. But at the same time, Tom Brady feels inevitable. And I'm going to get to my point about symmetry here in just a minute. So I do like the Tampa Bay Bucks to win by a field goal on Sunday against the Rams. And head to, I'll tell you in just a minute, Lorenzo, the main event, Saturday night, 7.15 Central at the Frozen Tundra of Lambeau Field. The first time the 49ers and Packers have played in the playoffs at Lambeau Field since that frigid day in 2013 where Colin Kaepernick led a game-winning field goal drive and they kicked a field goal as time expired en route to a epic NFC championship battle where they fell just short against the Seattle Seahawks that particular year. Lorenzo, it's the Niners. They're the hot team, if you will, coming in. They've won eight of their last 11. Who wins and why? Again, as we mentioned earlier, the help of Bosa, the help of Warner, even if they do play, it's still going to be a very lasting effect. All the more reason why that I'm swinging towards Green Bay. I know a lot of 49 fans, like much to their chagrin, but Here's another thing that I also want to factor in. This is, to me, this is the team that Aaron Rodgers wanted all along because he probably remembers the past playoff games that he's experienced against the 49ers. And the fact that there's still a good number of guys from that 2019 49ers team that embarrassed him and the Packers in the NFC title game, now they're coming to his place. So I feel like that you're going to see like Aaron go zero dark 30 on the 49ers. And again, I can't stress this enough. Not having Nick Bosa, not having Fred Warner, that makes your defense less faster, less smarter, and less more relentless. I mean, you're really like, you're literally relying on Eric Armstead and Arden Key. And unfortunately for Key, the latter defender, he's way too undersized to be taking on, uh, taking on Jenkins, Elton Jenkins. So I just feel like that, you know, if those two are in the lineup, even if they are in the lineup, I still give the slight edge to Green Bay, unfortunately. Yeah, and you add in, like, Green Bay. So Elton Jenkins blew his ACL out in November. He's not going to play. But David Bakhtiari oh, is, it sounds okay. like. Uh, Billy Turner will play. He was a full participant in practice today, and they got Josh Myers back. So Green Bay has four of their five preferred starters on the offensive line. It's a slower track, so I think that pass rush is going to take more time to get after those guys. And the weakness for San Francisco is in the secondary. The way to beat this Packers team is to put pressure on Aaron Rodgers and kind of slow their offense down. But the last time Green Bay played against them, they had a failed fourth down on the two-yard line. They had a couple of red zone field goals and some meltdowns, frankly, in the red zone that led to some field goals. They moved the ball all night against that San Francisco defense. Now, is San Francisco's defense better now than it was then? Certainly. But Green Bay's offense is better, too. That night, Yosh Nyman was making his first ever start at left tackle against Bosa and those boys. So I think that, yes, I know Debo Samuel is terrifying. Well, guess what? Debo Samuel is terrifying against everyone. That's not just a pack 
curse thing. He will be terrifying in every game he plays for the San Francisco 49ers as long as he's healthy and in his prime. George Kittle certainly has the ability to make some plays in the game. Eli Mitchell, fourth in the NFL in yards after contact. But the offensive line matters. And running the ball is not irrelevant the way that analytics Twitter might make you believe. But at the same time, if the game plan for you is to run the ball, play good defense, and hope to steal one, that's not going to go well against Aaron Rodgers. And add in the other thing. The 49ers are in the middle of the pack in the NFL, actually more towards the bottom, in terms of turnover differential. Green Bay is the best team in the league at, one, not turning the ball over, and two, they've been pretty good at getting takeaways on the defensive side of the ball. I think Green Bay wins, and the reason I say that I think Green Bay wins, and I was talking about symmetry earlier, the last two teams to beat them in the NFC Championship game are the San Francisco 49ers and the Tampa Bay Bucks. I think Green Bay has a chance now to beat San Francisco en route and then beat Tampa Bay on their way to a Super Bowl appearance and hopefully, for at least my listeners' sake, a championship. So I like this Green is, Bay. This is the revenge, I, yeah. This is the revenge tour, honestly, for Green Bay. This is the revenge tour for you guys, and it starts with the 49ers. I just feel like, and, you know, Aaron – Aaron went from like being like quiet, cerebral to now like being this cranky old man. And he knows like <laughs> his, his windows, yeah, his windows closing. So it, it starts with the, with the 49ers. Yeah, and you add in that like, they, you know, the guys know, they know that this could be, this is the last time this team will be together. They know that. Now that doesn't mean it's the last time that Aaron Rodgers will suit up at Lambeau for the Packers. All that stuff remains to be seen. There's a story and a discussion for that at another time. But I think what it comes down to is very simple. Are the 49ers a matchup problem for the Packers? Certainly. They can do some things that that Green Bay kind of struggles against. But the Packers are the better team. They're at home. They're better, in my opinion, with all their guys back potentially. They're better at rushing the passer. And they're better at passing the football. And they're better at protecting the quarterback. That's the other thing. When you talk about these pass rushes going against each other, Green Bay has – Billy Turner and David Bakhtiari playing at tackle in this game. You mentioned Trent Williams a little banged up, albeit he's the best left tackle in football. And now they're on their third right tackle this season. I just think that the Niners aren't going to be able to make enough plays. And when it comes down to it, Green Bay is not going to turn the ball over. Like the other thing about Green Bay that has got to give you some solace as a Packers fan, they're not going to beat – they're very unlikely. I shouldn't say they're not, but they're very unlikely – to beat themselves. They're not going to turn the ball over. They're not going to have a billion penalties like the Cowboys did on Sunday afternoon. They're going to play clean football. And if you play clean football against the Niners, I think they win. I think it's a game that's 31 to 20 until the final minute of the game. San Francisco scores a touchdown for a significant to some touchdown backdoor cover type of situation. And Green Bay wins 31 26 because the Niners missed the two point conversion before the onside kick. So I like Green Bay. Lorenzo likes Green Bay. He's got Green Bay against L.A., and if that happens, I might have to have him back next week. But we'll see on that. That'll do it for this edition of the Pick 6 Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Game On, Wisconsin. Check out the boys from Lombardi's Bar tonight giving away four $50 gift cards to our merchandise shop and an opportunity for you to donate to Kenny Clark's charity. So watch that show for those details. And, of course, check out our friends from Open Book. Right after that, you've got Cut the BS. You've got the final dump podcast. And then on Saturday, you've got four downs and the game, of course, that night, Saturday, 7.15, hopefully leading into a victory Monday, Packers and Rams or Bucks, recapped by the Freezer podcast on Mondays. Until then, I'm Jacob
Westendorf. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf. And you can follow Zoe at LJ underscore Reina. Follow his work at heavy.com for basically the entire NFC West. But until next time, it's playoffs. Bring your outside voice. All that stuff that they say. Stand up. Make your, make your voice heard. Make some noise on Saturday. I look forward to it. If you're going to be at the game, let me know. I'd be happy to hook up with you guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.